0: This morning is Sunday, December 28th, 2003. The topic this morning is the dreamer. God has called us to be dreamers. But our dreams, our visions, they've got to come from God. Does that make sense to you? People dream all kind of dreams that aren't God. One that is real prevalent that people try to push off on God right now is God wants you rich. Well, there may be somebody that that is their dream God-given but I don't think that's the word out there for the vast majority of the people. God will give you dreams. He will give you visions. And He desires for us to be people who dream big dreams. You ever seen in an athletic event or, or at some place in life when there are two strikes against you and it is the ninth inning and the bases are loaded and you're behind by two. There are some people that want To be at the plate. They want to hit the home run. And there are others that run from that because the pressure is too great. God is calling you, you men and women, to be people that desire to be at the plate. Now, in the world, some people want to stand up and they want to bat because the glory that is in it for them. In the kingdom, by the time God allows you to be in that position, you have a firm understanding of the fact that you're not at the plate for your glory. You're at the plate precisely because people will go, He didn't have that in Him. And yet, it was accomplished. It must have been accomplished by the glory and power of God. He will put you in that position. But you have to dream big dreams. Proverbs 25.2 tells us, It is to the glory of God to conceal a matter. To search out a matter is to the glory of kings. What you need to know is that Concealed in God before time began was a plan. That plan is being revealed to people who will seek it out. Do you know that the Bible calls each one of you who are seeking God kings? To every king, though, it's required that you prove faithful. That's what this life is. It is showing yourself to be worthy to inherit the kingdom of God, to be a king, a prince with Jesus. Do you know that the word Israel means prince with God? When the Bible calls us the Israel of God, we're being called princes with God, the princes of the universe, if you will. It's God's glory to conceal this from the world, but it's our glory to seek out the dreams and visions that God has for our lives. Have you ever driven down the street and seen somebody with a sign for food? You ever been to a place and seen somebody whose life did not turn out the way that they wanted, a mother or a father had a dream for that baby. But before that mother or father had a dream for them, God had a dream for that person. Not everybody reaches their calling. Not everybody fulfills the dreams that are in their life because it requires endurance. We're going to learn a little bit about that process and what to expect in it today. Now, here's the great news. It does not matter how far you have been off course from your dream, from your vision. Our God is able to restore you to it again. I I stand before you here today, six foot tall, 200 pounds, full of failure. You know, all 200 pounds has failed in my life. And I hadn't just failed once. God's not the God of one chance and you're out. He's not the God of second chance. He's the God of 10,000 upon 10,000 chances. The truth is, you can be beat into the canvas over and over and over. But if you refuse to get out of the ring, God will credit you with righteousness. He will credit you with victory. Our God rewards effort, not performance. He gives you what you need, not what you deserve, because His mercy triumphs over His judgment, as the book of James says. God has called us to be kings. We should search out his dreams, his vision for our lives. Turn to Matthew sixteen. We just taught on this the other night, but I want you to get this. How do dreams and visions come to us? Why is it important? You know, why do I have to have God's dreams? I'll tell you why. In Matthew sixteen, verse thirteen it says, When Jesus came to the region of Caesarea Philippi. He asked His disciples, and we've learned in this church, disciples are those people who are learning to imitate Christ. Not just Christ, but also His apostles. And not just His apostles, but the churches they founded. He asked His disciples, Who do people say the Son of Man is? They replied, Some say John the Baptizer. Others say Elijah. And still others say Jeremiah or one of the prophets. Jesus then turns the question on them. He says, But what about you, He asked, Who do you say that I am? Each one of us has come to the place in life where Jesus is pointing His finger, saying, Who do you say that I am? And it's not a one-time event. This goes on all of your life. When you face discouragement, when you face trials of every kind, when the world is pulling at the corners of your mouth, trying to get you to frown, trying to get you to be beat down, you have to decide right then and there, Who is Jesus to me right now in this moment? Let's see what Peter said. Simon Peter answered, You are the Christ. That means the Anointed One. The human being that is filled with all the power of God. You are the Christ. The Son of the living God. Jesus replied, Blessed are you, Simon, son of Jonah, for this was not revealed to you by man, but by my Father in heaven. The kingdom of God is founded upon the fact that men can hear from the third heaven. They can hear God's voice in their life. Now, Hebrew says He speaks in a variety of ways. Your dreams and visions should come from God Himself. And when they do, when you declare that Jesus is Lord of your life, when you allow Him the opportunity to speak into your life, He will give you the dream and vision for your life. We call that a calling. Everybody wants to know, what is the calling on my life? The calling on your life is the things that God has given you, that He's told you, that He's encouraged you with to dream for, to shoot for, to aim at. Calling is nothing more than what direction am I going. And it starts with very basic things. Eric, the calling on your life is to excite people about the gospel. The calling on your life is to see lives change. Everything else is details. That is my dream. My dream given to me by God is to see lives change. Somebody asked me about the vision of this ministry. The vision of this ministry given to me by God is this. That I will preach the Word of God. That I will live an example of the Word of God. That the power of God will be in me to the extent that it will cause other people's lives to change. See, I could care less about intellectual acknowledgments of the Gospel. I could care less about numbers in a church. I could care less how much you know about Jesus. I want to see your life change. Because what the King told me is that the same way my, my cry, my prayer when I was born again was, Lord, change me, that if I will teach others that, if others will take hold of that same life-changing power, then it will be a domino effect. And that as Mandy's life changes, she will meet people like Bill and Bill's life will change. And as Bill's life changes and he meets people, those people's lives will change. And the kingdom of God will advance. The vision of this ministry is to see the kingdom of God advance one life at a time as each life is changed by the power and glory of God as they come into contact with his spirit. Now... Some churches try to do this through academic means. They're going to teach everybody the true doctrine, and that's that's great. That's one way to see lives change. I don't care whether you people become scholars. You don't all have to understand the intricate detail. All of you are not even called the fivefold ministry, so it's okay with me if you can't name every king of Judah and who was their corresponding king of Israel during those time periods. What I want to see is your lives thoroughly progressing towards Jesus because you're receiving dreams and revelation from Him and shooting for them. As that happens, it'll domino into our surrounding communities. And you know what? The reason we are life-changing ministries, plural, is because as our ministry does this, it will birth other ministries. I do not want to take over the compact center one day. That's not my dream. It's not my vision. I'm thankful for that church. I'm thankful for those people's vision. They're accomplishing it. That's not mine. Mine is that every time the church reaches a certain level, and I don't know what that is yet, might be 500 people, might be 1,000, might be 1,500, that a new ministry is birthed. Not one under my control, one that is just affiliated with us. A brother or sister church raised up from people in our ministry whose lives have changed. I hope to birth many churches. I hope it's not just five or ten, but hundreds in my lifetime. Does that make sense? That's my dream. That's my vision. And it came by direct revelation. Peter was blessed because he received that revelation. It was then that Jesus told him he had the keys to the kingdom and that he could bind or loose. You can bind nothing or loose nothing that Jesus has not revealed to you. I can loose this life-changing power upon people because Jesus has revealed to me that is my purpose. I can bind every attack of the enemy that comes against it because Jesus has revealed to me this is my purpose. Now, one of my friends, Gary Williams, that we prayed for earlier, he's got a vision for a ministry called Grafted In Ministries. They're going to bring the light of life to the Jewish nation. Now, that's part of my vision But that is not my church's vision. That's his. And God will equip him for that. Does that make sense? I hope to support him in it. Another friend of mine wants to start an orphanage. That's not my vision. But I'm going to support him in his vision. You need to dream big dreams. You need to ask God. Not just for Him to part the heavens and speak to you in Charlton Heston's voice. You know, David, you are to go to Burger King and make a right and then a left Order this and look under your napkin. You know, it's not always like that. Your your dreams and visions are the things that you like to do that God is witnessing that He's a part of. They're those things that you always hope to be able to do in the kingdom. God gave you those. I have no desire to start an orphanage. I think it's admirable. I love it. I'm excited about it. I have no, that's not my vision. But I am thrilled to death that it's somebody's vision because it needs to be done. God will give each of you those dreams, those visions. And I want you to achieve them. But you need to know about the process. In 2 Corinthians 4, we learn a little bit about it. Turn there. 2 Corinthians 4 starts this way. And this is in reference to something that God plants in you. Okay? I'll wait till I quit hearing pages turn. Friends, we're at a time on the earth when we're fixing to make another revolution around the sun. People are making New Year's resolutions. They're beginning to think about where we are in time. Wednesday night is is a momentous occasion. We turn a new year. Well, in this new year, we need to dream bigger dreams. We need to not have small faith. The Lord our God is able to do more than you could ask for or imagine. And we need to grab hold of that. I was one time interviewing for a job. And I had a dollar figure in mind. Now, you know, if you know me, I do not preach the prosperity gospel. I don't think it's a gospel at all. I think it's an invention of the devil. But I do seek the kingdom of God with every fiber of my being. And so things are added to me. That's just how that works. The Lord spoke to me on the way to the interview. He said, you are not thinking big enough, little man. So I began to think bigger. And you know what? He's able to do that. Sometimes our thinking is too small. You know, we, we're we believing God that, you know, he, he might bless us with a VCR or something. Instead of believing God that you can have a hundred people come in and out of your house that are saved this year. We need to dream big things. Things that seem impossible for us are possible with God. If you begin to dream that way, you'll find out what He anoints in your life and what He doesn't. It's also always helpful when it focuses on somebody besides you. One way you can separate your dreams from God's dreams is whether or not they're self-serving. If your dream is to become a great evangelist so that you can be great, you can pretty well be assured that's not God's desire for you at this time. When your dream is to see souls avoid hell, when you desire to populate heaven and plunder hell, and you weep for people when you see them going down the street because you realize they're lost, that's the kind of dream God gives not the guy that wants to drive the white Cadillac, have the 50 mile an hour haircut, and be seen as great. Y'all in Corinthians 4? 2 Corinthians 4? Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. The biggest temptation for Christians in their dreams is to lose heart before the dreams completed. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. I am not here to deceive you. I am not here to convince you of anything. I've told you very plainly what my vision is. You can either receive my vision or not. That needs to be your attitude towards everybody. You don't need to be crafty, hiding the things that God's told you. You know, there is a synagogue of Satan right up here on this corner. It's a Mormon church. Those people are taught you give milk before meat, which sounds very wise, right? Their method of presenting their gospel, which is no gospel at all, is to deceive you. It is to tell you only things that you can agree on at first, and then after you're sucked into the lie, begin to tell you the quote-unquote deeper truths of the faith. The purpose for that is deception, that you'll think they're real Christians until you get further in and then you've built relationships and you're able to swallow their lies. Our gospel's not like that. You should be plain to every human being you meet. You should make no bones about it. Your desire is to see them saved, to see them benefited by the kingdom of God. We commend ourselves to men's conscience, not to deceptive thinking. Listen to what he says. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. When people don't see the reason for this good news that you have, when they don't see the purpose for your life, that's okay. They're perishing. You desire for them not to be perishing, but they are. And you just realize that and you move on. So that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God, who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light to shine in our hearts and give us, get this, the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. Paul, when he's writing this, had received a dream, a revelation A mystery that God gave him. That is the light of the knowledge of Jesus Christ in his heart. When people didn't receive it, it's because the God of this world had blinded them. But he set it out there plainly for everyone who would receive it. Something that you will run into in your dreams, and your visions. People won't receive them. I'm called to pastor. I'm called to do more than that. But in this stage of my life, I'm called to pastor. I have my own relatives at times that cannot receive it. Why? Because they see this house of clay. The knowledge that God has given me is hidden in my heart, but it's surrounded by this body. Do you know that Jesus' own relatives did not receive Him? Why? Because the very anointing of God was hidden in a human suit. People said He looks just like us. He's a carpenter's kid. You know, Prophets don't grow up from little kids, do they? You know, people are going to look at you as an ordinary person, but the Bible declares that you're a king, a prince, called by God. You need to let your security come from your calling. When people think you're directionless, when they see that you don't desire to excel in the world, or maybe you're not, your direction, your purpose for life needs to be that which God has revealed to you and you cling to it. Listen to what Paul says and see if you can find comfort in this. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. He called you because you're a jar of clay, because you're full of weakness, to show one thing, this dream, this vision, and the power to perform it did not originate with you. It originated in the third heaven we are hard pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. You know, when your dreams and visions begin to be evident to other people, when you should be crushed, but you're not, when you're pressed, but you're not in, you're not overcome. You're not overcome. When the world is beating down on you and yet you still have hope, you still are clinging to something that seems impossible to them. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that the life, so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work in us, but life at work in you. The harder we're pressed, the more opportunity for life to get to the people around us, for our dreams to be fulfilled. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in His presence. All this is for your benefit, so that the Spirit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Listen to how he closes this, then we're going to move on. Therefore, do not lose heart, though outwardly we are wasting away, yet inwardly we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but what is unseen. For what is temporary, But what is unseen is eternal. Guys, you need to have a dream or a vision in your heart that you want to accomplish for Jesus. You will be resisted. You will be persecuted. You will be pressed on every side. But you have exchanged what you see for something that is unseen. You have a hope in you that is not tangible to anybody but you. And the harder you're pressed, the harder you're persecuted or you're pushed, the more that becomes evident to other people. So that God will cause you to shine like a star in the darkness of the skies. It comes when you consider everything around you a light and momentary trouble compared to completing the work God's given you. That only happens by fixing your eyes on Him. Turn with me to 1 Corinthians. First Corinthians 1, verse 26. Brothers, think of what you were when you were called. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many of you were influential. Not many of you were noble, or at least of noble birth. But God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. It is because of him that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom, the wisdom of God. That is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let him who boasts, boast in the Lord. God chose you because you did not have it in yourself to be a a great person. Because you were not an overcomer by nature. God chose you because you were weak, because you were lowly. See, the kings and princes in this world system, they have no need of God. They have everything they want already. They're strong already. Jason Upton on a CD calls them powerful weaklings. They're powerful in this age. But in God's kingdom, they're weaklings. We're just the opposite. By the world's standards, we're lightweights. We're weaklings. But by God's standards, we're powerful. His all-surpassing power is in us. You do not have in your flesh the strength to carry out your dreams and visions if they came from God. He'll make sure of that because He'll call you to things that are impossible for men to do. While our church is in the midst of some turmoil at the moment, while we seem to be shrinking in number, Jesus is telling me to put more chairs in our church, to convert the garage to a place of worship, to put down carpet, to put up sheetrock, to make a sanctuary. That's the exact opposite of anybody with half a brain, what they would do. You don't go buy 50 chairs when there's, you know, less than 10 people in your church. But God will call you to do the very things that seem foolish, that seem irrational, because when He accomplishes it, it shows that it was Him who accomplished it. My friend wants to adopt one child, and God said, you're going to do more than that. You're going to run an orphanage. He told him that precisely because he doesn't have the strength to do it. Having the strength, having the revelation is part of it. 1 Corinthians 4, though, not 2 Corinthians, but 1 Corinthians 4 contains something that's valuable for you to know. It's just two verses here. 1 Corinthians 4, verse 1 and 2. So then, men ought to regard us as servants of Christ, as those entrusted with the secret things of God. You have been entrusted with dreams, with visions from God. And they're secret. You had to search them out. You weren't given a placard when you were born that told you what to do. All of mankind does not know what your dream and vision is. God revealed it to you. Now it is required that those who have been given a trust must prove faithful. Now that you've been given the dream... Now that you've been given the calling, you've been given the vision, it's your job to prove faithful over it. See, people want to know, such and such was prophesied to me, but it hasn't come about yet. Well, you may be in the stage where you're proving faithful. The the worst one is, Eric, you prophesied to so-and-so that they would do this and that, and they killed themselves last year. You're a false prophet. Well, I may miss prophecies, that's true. Or... Possibly they didn't fulfill the will of God on their lives. They did not show themselves to be faithful. The Bible says that God desires that all men would be saved. And yet we know that all men don't reach that destiny. In fact, most don't. So we need to take steps to reach our destiny. We need to be active about proving ourselves faithful. Jesus teaches this principle in the New Testament. When you've been faithful over a little, you'll be given more. When you've been faithful over that, you'll be given more. If you have very little and you're faith, not faithful over it, even what you have will be taken from you. See, we're supposed to live lives that are worthy of the call of God on our life. If you didn't yesterday, that's okay. Start today. This principle of proving faithful is kind of neat. We're fixing to go to Genesis, so y'all can flip there while I'm telling you this, and then I'm going to have to turn there. To prove faithful over a dream or vision is a little bit like this. And this can be hard for people listening to CD because you can't see this. If I had it, if I had more time, I would have brought a longbow in here. Have y'all seen longbows? Anybody seen those Lord of the Rings movies? They're all in those movies. A longbow stands about as tall as a man. And it's fairly narrow about as far apart as my hands are from the string to the front of the bow. But the further you draw that string back away from the target that it's intended for, the more power it gains, right? The call of God on your life is a little bit like this bow and arrow. You start off in the Master's hands. The call seems very, very close to the target. The string's not far from the end of the bow. But as He gives you the calling and you begin to trust, the more you trust Him, the further you seem to be pulled back from the target that you're actually headed towards. It seems as if you're getting further from your dreams and visions than closer to Him. Until one day, you reach that place where you have proven faithful. You've gained the necessary experience. You've done what you were supposed to in those circumstances. You've learned what's been required and the Master releases the stream. Knowing that there is enough faith, enough strength for you to leave the bow, to fly straight through the air and to hit the target. If you don't complete the, the drawing back process, if you don't prove faithful, there's not enough faith, not enough strength, not enough reliance on the Spirit for you to hit the target. You fall short. If you refuse to be released but just stay in the preparation stages forever, you'll go through the target, beyond it. If you try to get out somewhere in the middle... You don't fly anywhere. You just fall out of the faith. You need to think of your dreams and visions like a bow. God told you, maybe like my friend Brad, to start an orphanage. Well, I can assure you over the next few years of his life, while he takes small steps towards that, he probably will not just wake up and there will be an orphanage there. He may take a hundred steps in the other direction seemingly. Because in the natural, it builds a testimony. In the spiritual, it begins to build his faith. You can't trust God to adopt a hundred kids before you have one, right? So maybe He'll take that first step and He'll get the one child. And perhaps they'll go through times in their life where they'll think they could never do this again. They could never do all this. And the whole time they're being drawn backwards, gaining the necessary strength and power to accomplish it. See, God builds your faith in this manner. Are you all in Genesis? We're going to look at this pattern in somebody's life somebody who was a dreamer like us do you know i was born again in 1993 god spoke to me the day that i was born again some things about my life in the last what's that 11 years i have been drawn back from that target many times sometimes i thought i was close For instance, I knew I was going to be in full-time ministry the day I was born again. Several times I seemed to have gotten close, only to have that unfold and seem further from it than ever. And it's confusing. It hurts. It's an opportunity for you to want to get disgruntled and say, God, I thought you told me this. But in reality, what you need to do is say, no, I'm being drawn back a little further to get a little more strength, to get a little more power, so that I can hit where I need to go. In fact, think about it this way. Being drawn back from the target is giving you the necessary strength to be propelled towards the target. The very things that seem to resist you to keep you from doing God's will are the things that will propel you into God's will. The more the devil resists me, the more I will overcome him. As he increases resistance, God increases my power. So I can rejoice in my sufferings. I can be thrilled in my persecution. Because I know God will give me what is necessary to overcome them. In Genesis 37, we're going to read a little bit about a man named Joseph. Everybody knows who Joseph was, right? The drawing back ultimately propels you forward. That's kind of a paradox. It's like losing your life to find life. Being drawn back from your calling and vision ultimately propels you towards it. In Genesis 37, starting in verse 1, Jacob lived in the land where his father had stayed, the land of Canaan. This is the account of Jacob. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Beoha and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. He brought their father a bad report about them. Now, Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age. He made him a richly ornamented robe. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. In this calling, there are going to be times people hate you for no other reason than the father loves you. There are people in my life that mask their jealousy of me with fault finding in me. Because God's anointing is on my life. Because He causes me to prosper. And I'm not necessarily speaking about financially. He causes me to prosper in His kingdom. Other people find it necessary to tear me down. And to find fault with me. Particularly if they don't have the faith or the courage to reach their dreams like I do mine. Makes them feel better. Now, Israel loved Joseph. I'm sorry, where I did that. Verse 5. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. You ever been around a Christian that maybe your experiences in Jesus had been a little more powerful than theirs? Or at least that's the way it would seem to the natural observer. Maybe your dreams, your visions, your prophecies seem more vivacious and pronounced. And they had a little bit of jealousy already. And then you go to them and you tell them, man, I had an open vision last night. And you don't see excitement in their eyes. That's real immaturity. I hope each one of you outshines me a hundredfold. Because ultimately it means that I fulfilled my dream. Lives have been changed for the gospel. Joseph had a dream and when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. You're beginning to understand why they didn't like it? The little one. You remember God chooses the things that are not wise by the standards of this world to confound the foolish or the wisdom of the wise? God chose the smallest of the brothers. He chose the, the one that is least likely to be a ruler. And He gave him a dream that He would be the ruler over the brothers. God's dreams for you will go against the natural ability to do them. He's the least likely candidate to be the ruler of the brothers. Certainly, Reuben should be. Reuben's the oldest. If not Reuben, how about Simeon or Levi? Number two and three. And if not them, what about Judah? These are all grown men with families. But the kid, the snot-nosed punk that brings them bad reports, brings the father bad reports about them, he's the one that's going to be the ruler. See, God will do just that. He 'll call the guy with no administration skills to run a church of thousands. He 'll call the guy that 's never spoken in his life to preach. now it 's not always that way. A lot of times he uses people's natural giftings too. he'll call somebody who's violent to love and show mercy. He 'll call a home wrecker, somebody who's been breaking up marriages to be a man who performs ministries. marry. <laughs> performs marriages. That's the kind of guy. He calls the things that are not as though they were. And things that are death, he brings into life. His brother said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of the dream he had and what he said. Now, a natural lesson you can learn here. Your dreams and visions are not for everybody. They're for you. When I'm telling you to set forth the gospel plainly before people... I'm talking about people the Spirit's led you to. I don't go tell everybody, I started a church and this is why and this is what God's going to do. You know, when you tell people you start a church in your house, they look at you squirrely-eyed, don't they? You know? And yet we have testimonies all around us of people that have dreamed big dreams. Churches that started in feed stores and are now in the largest buildings in our, our state. Churches that started in garages and now 20,000 people a week attend. I have no such great ambitions. I just want to see lots and lots of lives change. And whether we're preaching in a tent, in a garage, in the living room, if lives are changing, I'll be happy. Now, I don't believe this ministry is just for a handful. I believe it'll grow. I had big dreams for it. But for the purpose of birthing up other ministries, not building a name for myself. Then he had another dream, and he told it to his brothers. Guys, God will give you many dreams. There's not just one purpose for your life. There's many purposes. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and the moon and the eleven stars were bowing down to me. His dreams are getting bigger, not smaller. At first we just had sheaves of wheat. Now we're talking about the celestial realm. When he told this to his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, what is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Guys, when God gives you a dream, you can expect, especially those close to you, not to understand. People will always see your natural limitations. they say, well, yeah, but that's David. And, you know, David, this, that, and the other. And people that are most familiar with you in the natural will be least likely to see your spiritual potential. But God called you because of that very thing. So that when you achieve the dream, they know it was God and not you. Does that make sense? That's the, that's the treasure in jars of clay. Now, I don't want to run out of time with this, so we're going to skip some in here. The Father sends Joseph out to find his brothers. To get a, uh, find out how they're doing. And listen to how they call him. It says, um, I don't know, skip down to verse 17. They have moved on from here, the man answered. I heard them say, let's go to Dothan. God sent an angel to get Joseph on the right track to find his brothers. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them in Dothan. But they saw him in the distance, and before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. Listen to what they say. Here comes that dreamer, they said to each other. Come now, let us kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns and say that a ferocious animal devoured him. Then we will see what comes of his dreams. Did they hate him just to hate him? No, they hated him because of the call of God on his life. Because the Father favored him. They hated him because of his dreams. Don't be surprised. When people not only don't believe you can accomplish what God called you to, they don't believe God called you to it. And if He, they'll even go out of their way to hope that it doesn't happen in your life. That's part of the drawing back process. From the moment God gave this boy vision, he began being drawn back from it. Now, what did he think when he got the vision? He thought it was going to happen tomorrow. Like every one of us does. God tells you that you're going to go to Peru and be a missionary. You start to pack your bags thinking you're going tomorrow. Not realizing that there's a proving faithful. There's a drawing back from the vision in order to gain the strength necessary to propel you towards the vision. You all know the story. They throw him in a hole. They sell their brother out. And we'll teach on it sometimes. This is a shadowing type of Jesus. But that's not what we're teaching on today. Turn to Genesis 39. Thirty-nine, verse six. Now Joseph was a well-built, was well-built and handsome. It's a problem all of you have, I know. <laughs> Somebody said amen to that, I'm sure. Amen. Now Joseph was well-built and handsome, and after a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph and said, "Come to bed with me." Now I want to tell you something. Joseph was seventeen years old. When he was sold into slavery. I don't know how much time has passed at this point. But can any of you men in here think back to when you were 17? Was this a temptation? This guy's been a slave. He's working in his master's house. And one of the ladies, the master's wife, has noticed. Oh, this guy's good looking. He's well built. She begins to try to seduce him. Could that be a temptation? Of course it could. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything's, everything he owns, he is entrusted to my care. Joseph understood he was one entrusted with the secret things of God. He had dreams from God. He had visions from God. He knew that he could not sin. He knew that he could not do these wicked things that other people did because he had a purpose for his life. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. Now get this. Can you see this going on? Joseph has risen to a place where he's the second greatest in that household. Is he fulfilling his call and his dream? No, he looks like he's as far from it as could be. God told him that his brothers would bow down to him, that the sun, the moon, and the stars would bow down to him. Now he's a slave in Egypt. But since we know the whole story, can you see a similarity here towards something that's going to happen? Eventually, if Joseph sticks with God's program, he's going to be second in all of Egypt. Not just one household. He's going to be called the Savior of Egypt. And his brothers and his father are going to bow down to him. See, this is a mini-test. But does it look to Joseph like it's a test? Not at all. He can't see any relationship between this and the dream that God called him to. We can because we see the end from the beginning. We have the whole story. He's second in all of the household. No one is greater in this house than I am. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a, a wicked thing and sin against God? And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, he refused to go to bed with her or even be with her. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties. And none of the household servants was inside. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. Friends, God will put you in positions where the devil will try to use your normal course of daily life, following Jesus, to ensnare you. When Jesus gave me my visions... When he began to speak to me about my full-time calling, the first thing that happened is a man in ministry tried to seduce me. He tried to get me to go be a part of his denomination. I had a choice of security. And like Joseph, some pleasure. Finances, those things. But you must do what Joseph did. Keep your dream in sight. And you run from everything that would try to pull you aside, even if it means... That you're humiliated and naked. See, because if you stick with the dream that God gave you, you will succeed. Though you look destitute, God will cause you to succeed. But if you begin to take the world's way, if you begin to be pulled off track, you are assured that no matter how much security, how noble you look, you cannot achieve the dreams that God has called you to achieve. Joseph, when tempted to be pulled off track, ran out of the house naked. Would you call that proving faithful? Yeah, he's proving faithful. What happens to Joseph next? He ends up going to jail for something he didn't do. How would you like to be in jail for a crime you didn't commit? He experienced it. Look at Genesis 40, verse 12. Joseph's in... Jail, and some people come to him because, again, he's risen in the midst of jail. We can see how God's using this jail experience to prepare him. But to Joseph, all it feels like is he's even further. Not only is he a slave, but now he's a criminal slave. He's in jail. He feels further from the thing that God called him to. But he's risen amongst the other people so that he's running the jail. And somebody comes to him and asks him to interpret dreams. So Joseph says... This is what it means. Joseph said to him, Three branches are the three days. Within three days Pharaoh will lift up your head and restore you to your position. And you will put Pharaoh's cup in his hand just as you used to do. But when you were his cup, when you were his cupbearer, when all goes well with you, remember me and show me kindness. Mention to Pharaoh and get me out of this prison. For I was forcibly carried off from the land of the Hebrews. And even here I have done nothing to deserve being put into prison. Now get this. He serves this guy. He loves him. He gives him the interpretation of his dream. And how far does Joseph feel from completing his own dreams? He says, man, I've been forcefully carried off from my homeland. I've been, I've been in prison for something I didn't do. Now we saw in Potiphar's household Joseph was being groomed to be a ruler. We saw in jail now, he's being groomed to interpret dreams, both good and bad. We can see how God is advancing Joseph so that when he stands before Pharaoh, he's qualified to be second in command. He's qualified to give the interpretation of the dream. He's qualified to be the Paneah, the leader of Egypt. We can see that from our perspective, but what did he think? He thought, man, this is going from bad to worse. I had these dreams that I was going to do great things. And instead, I've been sold as a slave. And everywhere I go, I'm being mistreated. I was accused of a crime I didn't commit. Then he goes on to interpret this man's dream in prison and he forgets about him. Did he just interpret a good dream? No, he interpreted the bad one too. He was faithful. The next guy he interprets, he says, your head's going to be lifted off. And he does. It gets lifted off. Showing that Joseph would hear from God and bring good news or bad news. He's proving faithful. But he probably couldn't see that he was advancing through this. The very things that are pulling you back seemingly from the vision God's given you are gaining the strength, the maturity, the equipping to fulfill your calling. Just like it was in Joseph's life. Look at Genesis 41. Verse 41. You know the story. Later, somebody does eventually remember him. He gets into the Pharaoh's presence because the Pharaoh's had bad dreams. And he wants to know what they mean. Did he have a good dream only? No, he had a good dream followed by a bad dream. Joseph had been perfectly equipped to interpret both of these, having done the cupbearer and the baker. He's fixing to get promoted to the highest position in all of the land. Had Joseph been prepared for that? Sure, he had run Potiphar's household. See, the whole time he was being drawn back from the vision God gave him, he was gaining the necessary experience to complete the vision God gave him. Are you all understanding that? If you are, say yes. Verse 41, So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger and put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in the chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, make way. Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word, no one will lift a hand or foot in all of Egypt. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonoth-Penea and gave him Asenoth, daughter of Potiphera, priest of On, to be his wife. Do you remember the, the test that he passed in Potiphar's wife? See, he he did not sleep with Potiphar's wife. He ran out naked. So what did God do for him? He gave him the most coveted woman in all of Egypt. Joseph was 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. How old was he when he got the dream and the vision? 17. 17. Think about that. It's 13 years before he's in anything that resembles the dream that he had. But he still hasn't completed it, has he? He's just king over Egypt. He's advanced. But he was told that his brothers would come and bow down to him. Well, after seven years of famine, they do. They don't come once, but they come multiple times. And eventually, in Genesis 45, it's fulfilled. And Joseph stands there before his brothers as they bow before him. You know how old he was? He's 39 years old. He was 17 when it was given. It was 39 when that was fulfilled. Ultimately, it's fulfilled in Jesus in the millennial reign. I mean, the whole thing was to teach about Jesus. What I'm getting at here, and we're going to look at some other things, but what I'm getting at is, guys, He will speak things to you while you're young, while you're foolish enough to believe what He says. And you should treasure them in your heart. You should think about them. You should... Talk about them to people that you love and trust. You should keep your dreams fresh in your mind, before you, at all times. So that, no matter what you face, no matter how far it seems you're being pulled back like a string in a bow from the calling, you realize you're just proving faithful and it's equipping you to fly straight and hit the target. See, he was released in Genesis 41 like the arrow. He'd been pulled back far enough to gain the experience, and he was released. Then the arrow was flying towards the target from 41 through 45. I told you all about that rock tumbler in my garage during worship. It is a process for your rough edges to get smoothed out so that you can fly straight and knock down the giants God called you to knock down. Think about the people in this Bible of ours that had big dreams, and it took a long time for them to be fulfilled. Noah built that ark for 120 years while people laughed at him, but in the end, was it fulfilled? Absolutely. Abraham, he's in his 70s when he was called. He was over a hundred when the son was born, and then he had such trust in God that when God told him to kill the son, the only way that it could possibly be that the promise would be fulfilled. He was willing to kill him. You have to get close enough to Jesus through experiences, through trials in your life, that he can trust you to fulfill your dream. He has to pull you far enough back in the bow that he knows you will fly straight when you're released. It's all still part of the calling. See, Joseph couldn't see that in Potiphar's house he was being groomed to be a leader. He couldn't see that in the prison he was being groomed to interpret dreams. But I bet one day after he stood in Pharaoh's court, he could look back and see how every one of those experiences prepared him to fulfill the dream on his life. God's speaking to your dreams. You need to hear them. You need to get them in your spirit. You need to put them before you. You need to speak them often. You need to let your faith rise up to accomplish them. My dream is to see many lives changed and to see those lives become life-changing. Like yeast that works through a whole... No, i've begun a church and this is a small beginning but i can see the end from the beginning because god's called me to i've been drawn back in that bow now for 11 years being prepared for this purpose have started other churches seen them do well only to be separated from them been on the verge of full-time ministry only to be pulled back from it so that one day i would have what it was necessary to enter into full-time ministry you know, the very first Bible studies I ever did in my life had 30 people in them? I had only been saved a week. Knew nothing about Jesus. Would fast, would pray, and preach. And here we are with less than that number in this room. See, there's every opportunity to get discouraged. And when you do, you need to remember one thing turn to Psalms 138. Everybody should be turning to Psalm 138. This is a very key scripture. They are your dreams. They are your visions. God gave them to you. But who did they come from? They came from God. So Psalm 138, verse 6. Though the Lord is on high, He looks upon the lowly. That's us, guys. But the proud He knows from afar. Though I walk in the midst of trouble, you preserve my life. You're guaranteed to walk in trouble if you're in Christ. You stretch out your hand against the anger of my foes. With your right hand, you save me. The Lord will fulfill His purpose for me. The Lord has a purpose in your life. It's your dream, your vision, your calling. And who will fulfill it? The Lord will. See, you don't have to strain to fulfill your calling. You just have to strain to be in Christ. You have to refuse to get out of the ring, though you're knocked down though you blow it sometimes, though it looks like you're as far from your calling as you could possibly be, you refuse to give up because the Lord will fulfill His purpose in your life. He might call you to be a prophet and you've become a drunk. He might call you to be an apostle that begins churches and you're strung out. He might call you to raise up an orphanage And you don't even have kids. He called Abraham the father of many nations. When he had no children. Because God takes the lowly things and He raises them up. But He takes those that are proud and lofty and He pushes them down. Whatever you are today, you can become something better tomorrow. That is the life-changing power of the Gospel. My life is proof of it. I am so far from the violent young man that God saved me as. You know, there's a church full of people that every time I see in Louisiana, I'm encouraged. And I'm not encouraged because the church is doing well and is established. That's what people think. Oh, well, it's good to see a work begin small and now be fairly large. No, I'm encouraged because I see lives out there that are changed because of my life. And I know if it happened then, it can happen here. God took somebody... And He so renovated me that it's affecting your lives. And He will do the same thing with you for other people. And we will see the kingdom advance. Turn to Matthew 7.20. We'll look at a couple of Scriptures in Matthew. And we're going to close here very soon. 17.20 This ought to be a fairly familiar Scripture to you. Jesus uh, is speaking here and it's after the disciples have had a little problem casting out a a demon says, because you have so little faith, I tell you the truth. If you have faith as small as a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, move from here to there and it will move. Nothing will be impossible for you. Y'all say that with me. Nothing will be impossible for you. If God tells you, Eric, you will see that mountain moved. If He tells me that, and that's my dream, that's my vision. If I am faithful, even with as small as a mustard seed, just a little bit of faithfulness, it will happen, provided I endure until I see it happen. Faith is always mixed with perseverance because truthfully, faith is trust. You have to trust Him that He will do it. Trust is not trust if it's not tested. If you don't have to wait at all for me to do something, it doesn't require you to trust me at all, does it? Go to the 19th chapter. Hear how many times this happens. 1926. We've just had the teaching on the rich man and the eye of the needle. And the disciples are a little confused. They said, well, who can be saved then? Jesus looked at them and said, with man this is impossible, but with God all things are possible. There is nothing that God has spoken to you that is impossible for you to do. There is not a single thing that God could tell you to do that you are incapable of doing in Him. But if you're not in Him, even things that are possible for you become impossible. If you love Him. Are you with me? Do you understand what I'm saying? What you cannot do on your own, you can do with God. But what you can do on your own, you can't do without God. <laughs> Look at Luke 1.37. And we're going to read one more scripture and close. This is when Gabriel is speaking to Mary. Mary's wanting to know, how can this be? You know, how does a virgin have a baby? And the angel tells her, for nothing is impossible with God. You know, that's a one-liner. It's a standalone. It might be something that you should write on your mirror in the morning. When your dreams seem like they're not accomplishable, when it looks like nothing will happen in your life, when it looks like you're far from doing what God has told you to do, you remember, nothing is impossible for God. You know the one thing that is impossible for you? Because nothing's possible. Nothing's impossible for God. What is impossible for you, though? It's in Hebrews. It's impossible to please God without trusting Him. It's impossible to please God without faith. Everything's possible for you in God except pleasing Him without faith. If you want to be pleasing to God, you have to trust Him in every circumstance. Turn to Hebrews 10, 35, and we're going to close with this Scripture. It's the Hebrews Faith Hall of Fame. It takes faith to dream big dreams because everybody around you Everybody that you share it with doesn't support it. When you hear from God something, all everybody thinks about is all the reasons you can't do it. Even people that love you, they'll tell you every reason you should have a different dream. Every reason you should have a different vision. Somebody told me recently, well, without sheep, there's no real need for a shepherd. (laughs) Well, that very well may be true. But I believe even though there's not a lot of sheep here now, there will one day. That takes faith. And that faith pleases God. Now, the people who say these things to you, they mean, well, they love you. They just want you to make good decisions. But not every good decision is God's decision for your life. But every decision that comes from God is a good decision, though it doesn't look like it. See, if you're willing to have a reckless abandonment when you follow God, you follow God without any real caution. In other words, you don't spend a lot of time worried about if I do what God told me to do, what will the re- what will the consequence be? If you follow God not caring about the consequence because you're wanting to please Him, the end result will be good. Let's let Hebrews 10, 35 through Hebrews 12, 3 be a charge to us today. And then we're going to close with this because i got to fit this on a CD. We may keep going, but the CD is going to stop. It says, so do not throw away your confidence. It will be richly rewarded. You need to persevere so that when you have done the will of God, you will receive what has been promised. Guys, when you're first given a vision, you're excited about it. You're sure it's going to happen. As months go by, as years sometimes go by, it's easy to get discouraged and throw away the confidence you had in the beginning. That's why faith, trust, it perseveres. It reasons in your heart that if He promised it, He's able to do it. And the devil will always tell you, you've blown it too badly. You zigged when you should have zagged, and God can't fulfill the dreams in your life now. He won't. He doesn't want to use you anymore. The Lord heard what you said to that guy on the phone. He saw what you looked at in the privacy of your home. He saw the way you treated such and such. He saw you get drunk. He saw you do those things. He'll never complete your dreams. That's what the devil tells everybody, every human being that's ever lived. And yet God chose you because of your weaknesses. Because as we're going to hear later, he turns your weakness into strength. He chose you because you're a jar of clay. So that your his power would be displayed in you. He didn't choose you because you had it together. He chose you because you don't. So every time the devil tells you all the reasons God can't use you, you just smile and take it as confirmation that God is using you because that means His power is evident in you. He who is coming will come and not delay, but my righteous one will live by faith. And if he shrinks back, I will not be pleased with him. It's one thing for God to draw you back from the vision so that you can gain experience to be propelled forward. It's another thing for you like Jonah to run from the call of God on your life. If you run from God, you will not be in the pleased category. You won't be a sheep, you'll be a goat. I don't care how many times you confess Jesus is Lord. I don't care how much you believe He's been raised from the dead. He is not Lord in your life if you do not do what He tells you to do. If you shrink back, you will not enter the kingdom of God. Hebrews says only the obedient do. It says He's the source of eternal salvation for all who obey Him. That's a, that's a message not preached much today. Get this. But if we are not of those, but we are not of those who shrink back and are destroyed, but of those who believe and are saved. Now faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You don't dream for something that you already have in your possession. You can't have faith for something you already possess. You have faith for things that are not there yet. You act as if they are. God tells you you have a church, will you begin to treat your household as a church? God tells you you have a congregation, will you begin to treat the handful as a congregation? You know why I'm building a sanctuary in my garage? Because it shows my faith that God will do bigger things. It's not because I believe that carpet in there and sheetrock is going to do something magically. It's to begin to cause us to dream big dreams. I'm certain of what I can't see right now. I'm certain that God will complete His dream in my life because He gave me the dream. This is what the ancients did and were commended for. By faith, we understand that the universe was formed by God's command so that what is seen was not made out of what is visible. The ultimate expression of faith is for God to speak. There'd be nothing there and something pop up, huh? (laughs) By faith, Abel offered a better sacrifice than Cain did. By faith, he was commended as a righteous man. When God spoke well of his offering, and by faith, he still speaks even though he's dead. If you live a life of faith, the deeds that you did will encourage others for generations. Your children will remember the legacy of faith that you left them and they'll carry it on. Abel did something as one of the first three, four human beings created, and we still talk about it today. Faith is enduring. By faith, Enoch was taken from this life so that he did not experience death. He could not be found because he had taken him away. For before he was taken, he was commended as one who pleased God. How do you please God? By faith. So we don't know what all Enoch did. But we know whatever he did, it was by faith. And so God brought him to be with him. I don't think Enoch's role in this creation's done yet either. But that's another teaching. And without faith, it is impossible to please God. Because anyone who comes to him must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who earnestly seek him. Not seek him for a while. Not seek him half-heartedly. God rewards those who seek him earnestly. To seek something earnestly, it's implied that it's resisted. That's why you have to be earnest. Otherwise, you'd go look once and you'd find it. By faith, Noah, when he was warned about things not yet seen, in holy fear built an ark to save his family. By his faith, he condemned the world and became heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah's faith showed the other people to be unfaithful because he told them what was going to happen. They weren't faithful to it. Your faith shows other people to be unfaithful. Jesus' faith, when He went to the cross to show the world that He loved the Father and did exactly what He commands, proved the world to be guilty. Anyone who does not show that same faith is guilty. Our faith does the same thing. That's why people don't like you sometimes. By faith, Abraham, when called to go to a place he would later receive as his inheritance, obeyed and went even though he did not know where he was going. By faith, he made his home in the promised land like a stranger in a foreign country. He lived in tents as Isaac and Jacob, who were heirs, with him of the same promise. The same dream and vision was given to Isaac and Jacob. In those three generations, they didn't see it fulfilled. And yet they lived as if it was being fulfilled. For he was looking forward to the city with foundations, whose architect and builder is God. By faith, Abraham, even though he was past age, and Sarah herself was barren, was enabled to become the father because he considered him faithful who had made the promise. When you do receive, first thing you need to, you need to seek God for a dream and vision. Then when you receive it, despite all the circumstances around you, you need to not waver as he, as Romans 14, says, you don't waver through unbelief. You simply believe that him who promised it will be faithful to complete it. He's able to, and he will. That's trust. That's a life of trust. And so from this one man, and he as good as dead, came descendants as numerous as the stars in the sky, and as countless as the sand on the seashore. All these people were still living by faith when they died. You don't have faith for a season, only for it to pass, and you receive that... When this church is one day much larger, it'll just require more faith. One day, I will have to have faith that God has anointed someone else as a pastor to take a part of the church and and start their own. And then again, and then again. We are always looking for that place as human beings where we've shown faith now we can sit back on our laurels. We've already done what God called us to do so now we can relax. That place does not exist. That complacency is sin. If God told you to start a church and you've done that, and now it's grown to a certain size, you need to seek God about what the next step is. And if it doesn't require bigger faith than it did to start the church, you're not hearing from God, because He always calls you forward, never backwards. Your faith will have to grow more tomorrow than it has today. All these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. And they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country not their own. If they had been thinking of the country they had left, they would have had the opportunity to return. This faith walk is 100% solely voluntary. You're in a ring fighting with an adversary that is stronger than you by all rights in the natural. You're depending upon God's strength to overcome this adversary. Sometimes he's beating you to the canvas. As long as you keep getting back up, God credits you with victory. But God never keeps you from getting out of the ring. If you embark on a faith journey and all you want in your heart is to go do something easier, God will give you the opportunity to do that. He says it right here in his word. That's not his will for your life, but he will do that. He will not force you to live a life of faith. Now, remember what I said. He's the God of many chances. You may not have succeeded in your last faith journey, but you will in your next. There are beautiful things in the Bible. People like Thomas, who doubted so much that he had to touch Jesus' wounds to believe that Jesus was raised from the dead. That's the low point in his life. You know what the high point is? He's the very first human being to call Jesus both Lord and God. People like John Mark turned back On the Apostle Paul. Gave up on him. Turned around, went home. Said, no, this is too hard. We'd like to throw him away, wouldn't we? Can't. You know why? God so mightily used him, he wrote a book of the New Testament. And later, even Paul said, John's useful to me. Bring him here. See, God is the God of multiple chances. But if all you do is whine that you want out of your faith walk, he'll give you the chance to get out. And because he loves you, You'll be disciplined and get the opportunity to try again. By faith, Abraham, when God tested him, offered Isaac as a sacrifice. He had received the promises. He who had received the promises was about to sacrifice his one and and only son. Even though God had said to him, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. Abraham reasoned that God could raise the dead and figuratively speaking, he did receive Isaac back from death. The same God that called me and told me the things about my life, he did right on the verge of looking as if they would be fulfilled at King's Harvest, picked me up and threw me into a whole nother state. But you know what? I've reasoned that if he called me, he's able to complete it. And he will. And if he'll do it for me, he'll do it for you. By faith, Isaac blessed Jacob and Esau in regard to their future. By faith, Jacob, when he was dying, blessed each of Joseph's sons and worshipped as he leaned on the top of his staff. By faith, Joseph, when his end was near, spoke about the exodus of the Israelites from Egypt and gave instructions about his bones. Why does it take faith to give instructions about your bones? He wanted them buried in a certain place because he believed there would be a resurrection. By faith, Moses, when he had grown up, refused to be known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to be mistreated along with the people of God rather than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a short time. You remember Joseph could have enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a short time in Potiphar's house. Instead, he chose to be mistreated as a man of God. Same thing with Moses. He regarded disgrace for the sake of Christ as of greater value than the treasures of Egypt. Friends, you need to regard disgrace as of greater value than anything this world could give you because you're being disgraced for Jesus. By faith, he left Egypt not fearing the king. He persevered because he saw him who was invisible. By faith, he kept the Passover and the sprinkling of blood so that the destroyer of firstborn would not touch the firstborn of Israel. By faith, the people passed through the Red Sea as on dry land, but when the Egyptians tried to do so, they were drowned. By faith, the walls of Jericho fell after the people had marched around them for seven days. What a dream to have. I'm going to march around this and the walls are going to fall down. Has anything ever happened like that in the history of the world? They had to put their faith on the line to walk around it though, didn't it? By faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. And what more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, David, Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised. Friends, we are to gain What is promised through faith. Who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword. Whose weakness was turned to strength. And who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Women received back their dead and raised to life again. Others were tortured and refused to be released so that they might gain a better resurrection Some faced jeers and floggings while still others were chained and put into prison. They were stoned. They were sawed in two. They were put to death by the sword. They went about in sheepskins and goatskins. Destitute. That word has special meaning for me. Some of you know what I'm talking about. They went about destitute. Persecuted and mistreated. The world was not worthy of them. Guys, when you're mistreated... You need to remember, the world's not worthy of you. You belong to a different kingdom, one that is in heaven and is coming this way. They wandered in the deserts and in the mountains and in caves and in holes in the ground. These were all commended for their faith, yet none of them received what had been promised. God had planned something better for us, so that only together with us would they be made perfect. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses... Let us throw off everything that hinders and entangles, and the sin that so easily entangles us. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before Him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Y'all, we need to throw off... Everything that hinders us from our dreams, our visions. You need to hear from God. You need to get a grasp of what God has promised in your life. And then, every trial, everything that would come against you, you just view as that bowstring being drawn backward. You need to fix your eyes on the author and perfecter of your faith. We're surrounded by a great testimony. All the people of faith that have gone before us. Their lives were lives of Terrible struggle. Terrible trials. But where there is no suffering, there can be no glory. But the greater the glory you're called to, the greater the suffering will be. And that's not a negative thing. That's part of the equipping. It's so that you can be entrusted with much. Y'all stand to your feet. Wednesday night is a new year. I want you to go into this new year asking God to give you new vision, new dreams. Don't you be scared to dream big. Don't you be scared to be the one, to dream to be the one that steps up to the plate and hits the home run. God is looking for those whose hearts are fully committed to Him that He might strengthen them. God's been watching your life, seeing if you will reach out in faith to dream a big dream so that He can fulfill it. He's looking for people that are not scared to take on huge vision, that believe He can do big things even through them. You can think of every reason in the natural not to do that. All the reasons you can't be successful. And those are just opportunities for weakness to be turned into strength. This year I'm going to dream bigger than I've ever dreamed before. I'm going to cling to God with all of my heart, soul, mind and strength and believe He will give me whatever it takes to complete our vision. Some of the vision I already have, some's yet to come. I compel you by the Spirit of God to do the very same thing. You guys get vision for your family, for your workplace, and then don't back up from it. No matter what happens, how the circumstances move against you, you just count it as equipping and you believe that dream. If you fall down, get back up again. If you seem to lose vision, get around those with similar vision and they will encourage you.